This morning, as we read, or as, as Jeff read from Psalm 110, there was a rather unusual name mentioned. Uh, it's it's a kind of an interesting character. It's not a name most of us would name our, our sons or our daughters. It's Melchizedek. It just doesn't roll right off the tongue very well. But there's a, there's a, a description of Melchizedek and what he is in in or who he is, in Hebrews chapter 7. So if you have your Bible there, go ahead and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 7, and we're going to read the first 10 verses or so. That's Hebrews chapter 7. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham as he was returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham apportioned a tenth part of all the spoils, was first of all, by the translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, which is king of peace, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, he remains a priest perpetually." Now observe how great this man was, to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the choicest spoils. And those indeed of the sons of Levi, who received the priest's office, have commandment in the law to collect a tenth from the people, that is, from their brethren, although these are descended from Abraham. But the one whose genealogy is not traced from them collected a tenth from Abraham, and blessed the one who had the promises. But without any dispute, the lesser is blessed by the greater. In this case, mortal men receive tithes, but in that case, one receives them of whom it was witnessed that he lives on. And so to speak, through Abraham, even Levi, who receives tithes, pays tithes. For he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Amen. As we look at Psalm 110 this morning, we'll see that it's a psalm of unspeakable hope and comfort to God's people. Or that's, that's the prayer. In fact, as we think about that, why don't you join with me in praying? Our Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. We pray that you would be a God of comfort, a God of peace, a God who draws us to yourself through the person and work of Jesus Christ, our faithful high priest and king. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Last week, as we were looking at David's life and David's attempt to build the temple, um, we, we didn't look at his response. And remember, I call it an attempt because, of course, he was not successful. He didn't build the temple. But but we didn't consider how he reacted. I mean, I would think that if, if it had been my uh, purpose, my desire to build this permanent place for the worship of, of God's people, and the Lord said, no, don't do that, that I would be a little off-put. I'd be a little uncertain. I'd be a little disappointed. But we see that David isn't that way. If we look at the, the verses that follow, he doesn't mope, he doesn't whine, he doesn't worry. Uh, he continues 
to trust in the Lord. He continues to, to celebrate the Lord and all that the Lord has done in his life, both in the past and indeed what he hopes he'll do in the future. And the reason I bring that up is because I think Psalm 110 plays a critical part of what David was thinking. I think it's a, it's a reflection of, of his hopes. So as, as he receives the word that he's not going to build the temple, as he, as he thinks about how God has been faithful to him and with him, he, he begins to pray and think and pray and think. And I think that Psalm 110 is kind of the fruit of that. Now, as we think about Psalm 110, it, it is first and foremost a song, right? It's a hymn. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a song for the church. It makes me even think about some of the songs that we sing today. You know, I, I think about, He will hold me fast. I think about the first line and, and even also the last line. Is when I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. Again, you know, the, the ending is also wonderful. It's raised with him to endless life, he will hold me fast. Till our faith is turned to sight when he comes at last. Right? So it's this, it's this picture, it's a, it's a song, it's a, it's a hope, it's a, it's a picture of what Christians desire. David in Psalm 10 is, uh, Psalm 110 is doing the same sort of thing. He, he, he's looking forward, given what the Lord has done and how the Spirit is working in his life, and he, he writes this song as a picture of, of uh, what, what he wants, what, what, he, what his hope is in. Now, as we think about this, as we, as we wrestle with this, we, we have to wonder, is it true? Is it right? Is it good? I mean, we can say that the, the scriptures certainly are good and right and true. And, and as David writes, we can trust him. But, but we also, we look at, at even like the songs we sang this morning. And we ask, are they good? Are they right? Are they true? Um, you know, I, I have no doubt that the people mean very well when they write them. But, but we recognize that we serve a God of truth. And so the things that we sing need to be accurate. And as we think about that, there's another concern that kind of circles around us. And that is that, that I, I'm guessing that we all fit from time to time on what I'll call the Mark 924 spectrum. Right? This is, this is where... Uh, the, uh, the man who has a demon-possessed son and he brings him to the disciples, actually brings him to Jesus and he meets the disciples and the disciples can't cast him out. And, and then he's brought before Jesus and, and he says to Jesus, if you can help, do something. And Jesus says, if I can help. And he says, I believe, help my unbelief, right? So, so I, I'm, again, I'm not a betting man, but if I were, I would wager that at different parts and seasons of our lives, we fit somewhere in that arena, right? Where we're people who say, I believe, but help my unbelief. How do these things fit together? Basically, as we think about God's purposes through David, as we think about God's purposes for his people, what do we do in the times of life when we believe, but we need help? What do we do when we, when we think about how we, we have faith in the Lord, but things aren't going well? 
And, and I think that Psalm 110 is David, in the moment, has just been denied his, the ability to build the temple. But he's reflecting on who God is, what God has done, and he has a future hope that is far greater than he could have originally anticipated. So Psalm 110 is a worship song. It's for the people of God. And it has, uh, I believe, in it two ideas. One is the God who holds us fast. And two, the God who's drawing us near. And he's doing that through this person who's a king and who's a priest. So today, my prayer is that we see King Jesus, who's also our high priest Jesus, He's the one who holds us fast and brings us to the Lord, which is to say, himself. So today, if you're, you're singing, he will hold me fast, and, and you're thinking, yes, today is the day that my faith feels weak. If you're feeling lost or wayward, uncertain about what is to come, look to Jesus. He's ruling at the right hand of the Father, and he's bringing his people to himself. Now, as we look at Psalm 110, we see again that the superscript says that it's of David, and we remember that he's the greatest of all the kings. And as we look at this, this uh, psalm, we see that it's full of kingly language. It talks about the rule and reign, right, of, of this, this um, of the Lord. It talks about a scepter which will extend forth. And, and we, we look at it and we, we can't help but note that this fir- very first verse is rather unusual because you have David who's a king and he writes and he says, the Lord says to my Lord. And so the question is, who in the world is the Lord? I mean, one we recognize as God, that's fine, but what about the other one? Who's he writing to? I mean, he's the highest authority in the land. So, so what's, what's going on? As I've said, I I think that what's going on is that he's writing this, recognizing that he is going to have a son, who's going to have a son and son and son, but that one of his descendants is going to be the king that builds the temple, that that, that, uh, this king is going to be the perfect king, the, the righteous king, the one who rules perfectly without end. And so David, looking at that king, says, my Lord. So it's this conversation that, that David understands. He's inspired by the Spirit, and he's, he's um, writing about this conversation between the Father and the Son, as the Lord says to my Lord. And we see the description that David has of this kingdom and this rule in these first few verses. I'll I'll read them. The the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand, right? Sit not of my physical right hand, because the Father is a spirit, but sit at my right hand, my power, my authority, my action. Sit there. Occupy that space. Work with my authority. And sit there until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord is going to stretch forth your strong scepter. Just to be clear, there, there's no end to this scepter. It's, it's not like it goes from, you know, Souderton to Harleysville and then stops. But it, the, the scepter that, that represents the Lord's reign is going to spread across the whole of the earth. 
And it's this king who's going to rule even in the midst of his enemies. This is the king that David has in his mind that is coming, that is going to build the temple, that is going to, to lead God's people. And, and this is the, the, the king that we see in the New Testament described as the Lord Jesus. See, Psalm 110 is... is um, often considered the most heavily quoted psalm, right? It's, it's, it's everywhere in the New Testament. Little bits of it are taken and, and put in this book and in that book. We, we read part of it from Hebrews. Uh, it's used everywhere, and it's always used to, to, to direct people to the Lord Jesus. This is a picture of who Jesus is. He's a king, and he's ruling, he's reigning, he's righteous forever. Well, how does that help us? As we think of our initial question, will he hold me fast? What about when life is not good? What about when life is not right? What about when life is uncertain? Will the Lord sustain me? How can he sustain me? He sustains me because Jesus has the authority of a king. Right? I, I don't have much authority. Most of the time when I say to my dog, come, he doesn't come, right? I, I, I barely have authority over him. And he only eats because I'm the one who feeds him. But that's not what we're talking about with the Lord. The Lord has authority over all. And so when he holds his people, when he rules his people, he does so without error. He does so without fault. He holds his people. But what does he hold them for? How does he keep them? Uh, wh what's his purpose? Well, to understand this purpose, uh, I actually think that the, the second description is helpful. That This king David has in his mind is also going to be a priest. But that presents a problem. And, and it's a real problem or maybe a real conundrum for God's people. You know, David is of the tribe of Judah. Any son that he has is going to be of the tribe of Judah, but the priests were of the tribe of Levi. So how does it work? How could someone be both a king and a priest? And, and we'll come to this in just a minute, but then the, the, the other part is, what in the world does a priest do? So why is it even important that we have this person who's a priest? Well, the, the answer to that is that a priest serves as a go-between. Someone who, 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 who mediates. Now we can think about this in, in terms of um, when we have conflict with one another, right? When we're, we're fighting with one another, sometimes we get so mad that we, we can't think straight. We can't see straight. And, and so as I'm talking to someone, they're not listening to me. Of course, I'm not listening to them either. But they're not listening to me. And, and if they only would listen to me, then they'd know I was right. I'm sure they're saying the same thing about me. Um, but, but as that happens, sometimes what has to happen is there has to be a third party involved who says, no, 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 this is what's true, this is not true. And it brings the people together. Well, we're similarly separated from God where we can't communicate well with him. But to be clear, it's not a 50-50 sort of separation. It's not where he said one thing and I've said another and we just need to kind of talk it out. 
It's that I have not listened to him. I have sinned against him. And I'm separated because of my sin. He is altogether righteous and good. His words are clear and understandable. But because of my sin, I'm, I'm prevented. I need a mediator to bring me to him. In the Old Testament, the priests served as mediators. They, they would receive the sacrifices, or the, the, the animals to sacrifice from the people, and they would, they would offer them as sacrifices to pay for sin and to enable the people to worship. To which we say hallelujah, that we don't have to do that today, that we can gather, we can come, we can come into the presence of the Lord and rejoice. But in the day, that, that was not the, the case and so God's people had to have this, this priest come and serve as a mediator to, to bring them to the Lord in worship. Now, if you think about it in that way, it's easy to understand why uh, David would want someone who is a priest and a king to, to lead. It would be someone as a king who's passing laws that are good, right, just, is making good and right decisions, is leading the people to the Lord, in, in terms of administration, but it's also somebody who's, who's actually bringing them spiritually into the presence of the Lord. And the answer to how you could have both is in this very strange man, Melchizedek. His name is a compound name. Uh, the first part, the word Melech, means king. The second part, Zedok, means righteousness. So he's the king of righteousness by his name. He's also the king the king, when Abraham meets him in Genesis 14, of the area that we would know as Jerusalem, called Salem. Salem means peace. So he's not just the king of righteousness, he's the king of peace. And even as I say that, you would think, isn't that what they call Jesus? And the answer is yes, right? But, but so there's this guy named Melchizedek. And Abraham meets him. And Abraham gives him a tenth of what he has. And, and Abraham then, in turn, is blessed by Melchizedek. And so the picture in David's mind is quite simple. Uh, you have this man, Melchizedek, who's greater than Abraham. And Abraham is greater than Levi. And so therefore, Melchizedek is greater than Levi. It's a simple kind of math logic test. Um, but that's the picture that you have. And, and so you have David who has this hope, this dream, not, not, not an airy-fairy dream, but, a, but a, 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 an eager expectation that this man named Melchizedek, or that this, this descendant of the order of Melchizedek, will rule as a king, but will also serve as a priest who's greater than the priests of the day. And we know, as we read through the scriptures, that this priest, who is Jesus, does offer a sacrifice. He offers himself. So he's both the priest and the sacrifice. And what does he do? He brings us into the presence of the Lord. How do we see it? We see it actually in the book of Hebrews, just before the, page, the verses that we read. We see that Jesus enters into the Holy of Holies, into the presence of the Lord, and it says, as a forerunner for us, meaning that he brings us in. So if you're here today, and you're on that Mark 9 spectrum, where we believe, but help my unbelief, 
I believe, but I'm struggling. Recognize David's hope for a king. That it's a king who's a priest. That it's a king who holds God's people and brings them to the Lord. And recognize, we see in Psalm 110, that that David is looking forward in hope that this would happen. And we see that it's fulfilled in the person and work of the Lord Jesus. So that as we come to know Jesus, as we see Jesus, as we understand his life, his death, his resurrection, we are held firmly by Jesus forever. And we are brought with him into the presence of the Lord. If you've heard nothing else today, hear that. And hear that, that there's a, an incredibly liberating truth with it. It's not on the basis of, of what I do. It's not on the basis of what you do. It's not on the basis of what you think. So in the times when you're struggling and uncertain, it's still true. Jesus holds us and brings us to the Lord. But you know, one of the, the realities of life is that, that humans are complex and we don't stay in one spot. One minute we are uh, weak and we say, I need help, Lord, help me. I'm not sure about this. And on the other hand, we, we, we say, well, this is easy or, or we just don't care or, or um, you know, I'm, I'm going to do what I want. And and as we think about that, as we think about that reality of the complexity of human life, we actually see David has I, what I think is um, a bit of a, a response to that. And it's actually listed towards the end. In verses 5 through 7, there's a description of what the king is going to do. And if you look at the pronouns, you see that it's the, the speaker has switched. It's no longer the Lord saying to the Lord, but now it's David saying back to the Lord. The Lord is at your right hand. He's going to shatter kings in the day of his wrath. He'll judge all the nations, right? It, it's, it's a picture of a warrior king who is setting all things right. And we know that it's a picture of his second coming. But we also recognize that at his first coming, he, he wrestled, not just wrestled as a man who, who wrestled with things like germs and getting sick and being hungry and tired and, 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 and some of those sorts of things, but, but he also wrestled as the one who's truly God and truly man who bears the wrath of God. It was a struggle. It was not easy. I think David understands that. Not fully, but he understands it in part. And you see what he's getting at here in verse 7, which as we read it, seems a little odd. It says, He will drink from the brook by the wayside. Therefore, he will lift up his head. And as we think about it, all of a sudden, we've had six verses talking about a king who's ruling, reigning, acting. There's, there's language of battle and, and, and judgment. But then all of a sudden, there's, there's language of rest, coolness, refreshment. What's going on? I think the picture here is that David is trying to communicate that this, this work of the king is hard work. And he'll be refreshed 
You know, I don't know about you, but sometimes as I think about Jesus, I'm reminded that, that he's all-powerful God, which he is. And I get the sense that, that well, because he's all-powerful God, nothing is difficult. And to some degree, that's true. But we, if, we, if that's our only picture, we also fail to understand that Jesus went to the cross, bore the wrath of the Lord, which was difficult, which was not easy. It, it, was, it was painful, it was agony. So much so that he needs to be comforted. I think you see it in the New Testament, actually, as at his baptism and at the transfiguration when, when the voice from, from heaven says, this is my beloved son, right? Reminding Jesus that he is the Father's son. Reminding Jesus that he is walking the good and right path. But I bring this up today, this morning, because, you, as I said, we're complex people. Sometimes we, we're weak and we know we're weak, and we say, Lord, help us, and we see in Christ the king and priest who redeems us and brings us to the Lord, but sometimes we say, I got this. We, we say, I, I'm all right. I figured it out. I'm not even as bad as the next guy over there. Or we say, you know what? It doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter because I believe in Jesus and so all my sins are forgiven so I get to do what I want. And both of those pictures that I can do whatever I want or that I'm, I've got everything taken care of, they cannot survive the cross. Because when we look at the cross and we see what Jesus has done by his life, death, and resurrection, we understand that that's not something we can do. We understand that that's not something that we have under control. We also understand that our actions, our attitudes, our lives have impact. And so, as we think about the cross, as we think about verse 7 and, and the, the agony of the cross and the way in which the Father reassures the Son through His life, it serves as a powerful reminder to us that we are the Lord's and the Lord's alone. We cannot do it on our own. We, we have to turn to him. In life, as we move between those two, from pensive doubt and arrogant sinfulness, we have to see that Jesus is the only solution. He is David's greater son. He is the one who overcomes sin and death. And by his, his death and resurrection on the you know, we see that he is the one who rules and reigns as a priest king, holding us fast and drawing us to the Lord. So take comfort today and every day, knowing that the Lord has redeemed you and will sustain you forever. Amen.